Well, hello, everybody. Great to be with you guys. I'm excited to close out this series that we are in. And we are in the book of John chapter 14. But before you go there, why don't you make your way over to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 15. You can put a bookmark there or save your place. And then head over to John 14. Once again, our topic for this series has been and is tonight the subject of hope. That's our our focus and uh, and will be our focus. The topic is the hope that we have in heaven. And I've added this subtitle to this study, the current purpose and future fulfillment because as we dig in here to the to the scriptures and to the study what we're going to see is that the reality of heaven in the life of the christian should produce a hope for not only what is to come but it also should produce hope for today for the here and now and so that's our title for tonight And in regards to hope, you know, I think we would all agree that hope is in short supply these days. Wouldn't you say that? You know, it's been said that a human can go 40 days without food, three days without water, six minutes without oxygen, but only one day without hope. Because hope something that's vital to us as human beings. And, And the object of this series has been To remind us all as Christians that our hope that we have is real. We've been using this definition of hope throughout this series that hope is the active, confident expectation of good based on the character of God. And and we as believers, we need to know that our hope is real, it's active, and that we could be confident in this hope because of God. Because of Christ Jesus. And this isn't just any hope, not some random gamble of a chance type of hope, but this hope exists and is sustained and is given by God. And so, although there may be times when we might feel helpless, we as believers, we should never be hopeless. And so, we've looked at this, you know, topic of hope. Um, the hope that we have in Jesus, the anchor of our hope with Pastor Tyler. And then last week, Aaron, uh, we looked at the hope uh, that there is in glory. But tonight, our focus, again, our focus is heaven. You know, since the beginning, mankind has always attempted, whether it be in literature or books or theater or movies, to, to kind of some, somehow describe and display what they think heaven might be like. I know you guys have seen the same movies I have. I remember as a kid, there was always these movies of, you know, people dying and going to heaven and then begging their way back. Like, hey, I've got something I got I to gotta do down there. And, and you know, I, I even remember, I know I'm dating myself, but that guy, George Burns, you know, that 80 year old guy with big glasses and a cigar. He always played Jesus like that's, you know, always played God. Like that's what God looked, looked like. And, you know, everybody that made it into heaven, we're given like these little pair of wings. Like that's what we want. Little pair of wings. I just want my hair back. You know, I just can't wait for that. But despite all that fiction, all that, you know, creative license, 
You know, there is really much that we don't know about heaven, but what we do know is heaven is a very real place. Our Bibles tell us and mention heaven about 327 times throughout the Old and the New Testament, and it's referring to a place of eternal peace, blessing, and most importantly, a place where Jesus is at. But unfortunately, in this day and age that we are living, well, there's a lot of people that either have a false understanding of heaven or even don't even believe in heaven altogether. You know, a recent Gallup poll that I found shows exactly this sentiment, and actually this sentiment is, is growing. I'll put it up on the screen. As you can see where we were a decade ago in these beliefs in things such as hell, the devil, angels, heaven, and even God himself, well, this shows a sad reality that that belief is in decline. But you know what? We were told that this actually would take place. Paul describes this falling away as we uh, lead up to the day of the Lord. But this is our, our culture that we're living in. This is kind of where people are landing and going. And, and with this as our backdrop, this reminder of our culture, well, we see the importance of being reminded of this hope that we hold in the reality of heaven. And how we as the church, we can not only find peace and certainty and security in the anticipation that heaven brings, but we can become a beacon of hope to this, this culture, this hopeless generation in a dark and crazy world. And again, our text tonight, it finds us in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Here in this chapter, we find that, you know, Jesus has his disciples' attention around the Passover table, where they have just shared a yummy meal together. And after that meal, Jesus got down and washed his disciples' feet. And he begins to now tell them um, these kind of lasting words before he would eventually be betrayed and arrested in the garden. So read with me. You guys can follow along. And then we'll go ahead and pray over our evening. Jesus speaking there in verse 1. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may also may be also. Verse 4, and where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this truth of heaven. And Lord, all the anticipation of eternity spent with you can bring us as sons and daughters of Christ. Lord, I do pray that as we look over and discuss and, and talk about this hope that we have, I pray, Lord, through your spirit that you would just invigorate and inspire us, Lord, to, um, Lord, to grow in this hope, that we would shine for you in this dark generation and, Lord, be ambassadors to this hope that we have, not only in heaven, but, Lord, our hope that we have in you. And so we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 
So our outline is going to be really simple. First, we're going to discuss the hope of heaven, as I mentioned, in regards to our purpose in the here and now. And then secondly, we're going to talk about its fulfillment, you know, that there and then outlook. And then we're just going to close by just celebrating this hope that we have, you know, as our reward in Jesus's promise. And most importantly, just give give our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ the the honor and praise that he's due. So first, what is the purpose here and now of this hope that exists in the reality of heaven? And the first thing we see is peace. It's peace. You know, there's probably more marches, speeches, demonstrations, and protests that go down in the name of peace than any other cause in the world. You know, and I, I, I can't think, help to think about like those classics, you know, shirts and, and bumper stickers like, you know, give peace a chance, you know, imagine peace or visualize, visualize world peace, like just kind of visualizing it will bring it into existence somehow. But, but the truth is the absence of peace in our world, it, well, it is a very real problem. You know, we see it in our broken marriages and broken homes within our culture. We see it even in our country, like our country is absolutely divided politically and morally. We see it in conflicts around the world and wherever there is war, we long for and we pray for peace. And in the the general sense, well, we realize that all of that, all of this, it stems from an absence of peace with God. An absence of peace with God, you know, and speaking of bumper stickers, you remember that famous one, like, no Jesus, N-O Jesus, no peace, and then, you know, K-N-O-W Jesus, no Jesus, no peace. Well, it's true. If, if we know Jesus, well, then we're at peace with God, but tonight we're focusing on a peace that comes from God. After we've given our lives over and are found in Christ, we have access to this peace that comes from him, even in the midst of our troubles. Look once more at this passage we just read in John. First, Jesus tells his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me, believe also in me. And to understand kind of Jesus's encouragement here, we kind of need to go back a little bit in their conversation in that upper room to understand his encouragement where Jesus had just dropped some, some really heavy stuff on his friends that night that they didn't quite understand. You know, first Jesus told him that there was a traitor in the midst that, that one of them would betray him and that uh, all of them would soon deny him. And eventually he would be leaving to a place where they could not follow. And all of this was deeply disturbing to these guys. You know, they were excited when Jesus talked about how the kingdom of God have, had come. You know, to them, they imagined, you know, Jesus would somehow overthrow their Roman oppressors and take the throne as king of kings, you know, over the holy city, and that they would be ruling and reigning with him. So it's no surprise that they were confused when Jesus spoke about being delivered into the hands of sinful men and being crucified on a cross and even rising again on the third day, they were confused, they were probably brokenhearted, and their confidence was probably completely shattered. And that's why we have Jesus' precious words here. Let not your heart be troubled. 
And for us here tonight, well, I mean, it's true. Our lives are filled with the trials and challenges of the day, the stress that can become overwhelming, and even the suffering that we see going on around us. And we're faced with a lot that we, too, just don't fully understand. We can be confused and weak and let down and left extremely troubled. But what the Bible teaches is that we, too, even in the midst of these difficulties, we can, ex- we can experience God's special peace that he offers us. An extraordinary, supernatural, beyond human comprehension, God-given peace. Later on in this chapter, look in verse 27, Jesus emphasizes this point. He says, peace I leave you with, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. So Jesus says, hey, it's my peace that I'm leaving you with. My peace I give to you. Not anything this world could offer or produce, but a peace that flows from me. And even though I am going, I am coming back to you. And so even here, we recognize this essence of heaven in Jesus' Jesus's encouragement to his friends, where there's this special peace that's tied to his return. Now, some familiar verses that we would, probably most of us would recognize is Paul's letter to the Philippians, where he reminds them in Philippians 4, verses 5 through 7, he says, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Or the the Lord's coming is near. So he says there in verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. Here's that peace that comes from God. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Well, what? Guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know, Paul's epistles, if they weren't focused on on the Lord's return, they were seasoned with it. And here, Paul is reminding the church, hey, the Lord is at hand. The Lord's coming is near. And in light of his imminent return, what? Be anxious for nothing. In light of his imminent return, be thankful In light of his imminent return, bring your needs to him. And in light of his return, experience his peace and protection. And just as Jesus sought to calm the troubled hearts of his disciples then, well, he does the same with us tonight. Hey, you believe in God, believe in me also. My peace I give you. You know, Jesus' solution was not complex or confusing or it wasn't some crazy recipe. It was simply a relationship with him. Like, yeah, Lord, I do believe. And in that belief, I will trust your promise of peace and protection. These troubles are not the end of me. And this pain, well, I, I, I know that you promise that it has a purpose. Now, there's another vital aspect of this peace that we receive from God that, well, it, we really need to talk about when we're talking about heaven, and it's the subject of death. Now, I know that we've all faced this subject 
some aspect of death, some point uh, in our lives up until now, whether it would be the, the loss of an acquaintance or the loss of a friend or a loved one, or, or even maybe, you know, we've had that favorite special pet that passed away. We've experienced death in our lives and understand a little bit about the pain that's involved with that, with death. And typically, you know, with our busy lives, well, we may forget about death for a moment, right? It might not be on the forefront of our mind until something reminds us. You know, oftentimes the presence of death becomes maybe a little bit more prominent as the years go by. But even in some cases, the thought of death can even loom so large that it can cripple us. It can weigh on us to the point where we're overcome with fear and anxiety. Some very powerful emotions. Someone once said, death is a constant companion to the living. It's something that's inevitable and certain within our lives, just as the scriptures confirmed that it's appointed for all men to die once. Death is inevitable. It's certain. But listen, as Christians, we know because we read our Bibles that this was never meant to be and that death was not necessarily natural. It was never God's intention for creation to have to experience death, but instead we were created by God to live in unity with him. Body, soul, and spirit in unity with him forever. But we all know what happened. Sin entered the picture and with it death. And just as Paul noted in Romans chapter 5, Adam's sin brought death. It spread to everyone for everyone has sinned. So because of that, well, the Bible describes death as our enemy. But Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 15 that death is the last enemy that will be destroyed. And in that same chapter, Paul would then encourage us in the hope of heaven. I'll put it up on the screen in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption... And this mortal has put on immortality. Then, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting, sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul here, speaking about our resurrected destiny... And knowing that death is a defeated enemy because of the work of Jesus, he almost taunts and mocks death. Like, death, what have you got? Where is your sting? Because death no longer has any power over the person found in Christ Jesus. You know, and I know I'm not the only person that has witnessed or been with somebody who is near the end for some reason or another, or is at death's doorstep, and they're a powerful example of this very peace. And why is that? Well, it's because their hope is in heaven. Their hope isn't here on the horizontal or the things they have. I mean, even with the many joys and loves and beauty that this life offers, it pales in comparison to what awaits our hope in heaven. And this isn't simply, you know, optimism or wishful thinking. 
No. We could have confidence in what Jesus taught us. I mean, Jesus, when he talked about heaven, he spoke about it with such confidence. Like, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. Like, he wasn't guessing or gambling. He was absolutely confident, and we can too. We can too. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, we can be fully confident. And to be absent from these bodies is to be present with the Lord. And that's what our friends that have gone on before us, those examples of peace, knew that as soon as their life was over here, man, they were in the presence of their Savior. There's no immediate or intermediate state, right? There's no soul sleep or purgatory purgatory hanging out with the Pope, but instant entrance into the presence of God. You know, our Lord is there. Our friends are there. Our loved ones are there. There is no more sin or sin nature to cause unhappiness or unrest. Listen, death for the believer is not a venture into the unknown, but it's like going home. Even better, it's like going to God's home where he is and where we will remain for eternity. And we can share in the peace of God that he has for us in this truth, in this hope of heaven that is our peace. So the first purpose that we see in the here and now is that peace. And the second we see is preparation. If you guys want to go to that place that you saved in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know, for a long time, I would read those verses in John chapter 14. I know where Jesus said, you know, in my father's house are many mansions. And I would think, wow, really? Like a mansion for me? Like not just a, a house, but a mansion? You know, and, and kind of that imagination would kind of take me where I would go. And, and of course, this is all based off of, of random, you know, kind of depictions. But, you know, they all say Peter meets you at the gate. So Peter would meet me at the gate. He would walk me through down the, you know, streets of gold and, and eventually, you know, to my my dream home, you know, this craftsman style ranch on, on many, many acres, you know, and, 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 you know, I'd walk up and the garages would open up and there would be like a brand new ride on lawnmower. I mean, I don't know what your, you know, picture of heaven looks like, but mine's pretty simple. But, you know, as time has passed, I come to realize this is far from how it will go down. And I think the apostle Paul writes here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 on on just how this exactly will go down. He says there in verse 1, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, you know, he's speaking about when we die, leave this earthly body, that we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. And now, verse 5, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us his spirit as a guarantee. 
And I love this section. I love how when Paul is referring that when we pass away, our physical bodies are destroyed. Or better yet, they're, they're like taken down like a tent. And we have this building from God now in eternity, this house made without hands. And he says that we are clothed with our habitation. We're clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. And you see, I believe what Jesus is talking about when he's sharing this with his disciples about these mansions or in the Greek, these dwelling places was more like referring to these new glorified bodies that we receive from God. Not some beautiful custom dream home that's built for us in heaven. No, these glorified bodies given to us by God. But notice there in verse 5, Paul notes, he says, now he who has prepared us for this thing is God, who has also given us his spirit as a guarantee. You know, Pastor Aaron last week noted in his amazing study, this reference to Philippians chapter 2, in light of our sanctification, and if you missed it, I encourage you, go check it out. It was an amazing study. It blessed me thoroughly. You can go on our website or YouTube and find it very easily. But our sanctification, as we learn, is much about this preparation process that's going on in the life of the believer. Again, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and do for his good pleasure. You know, we read that and think, wait a minute, what's like, you know, now I'm supposed to work out, but God is working out. But listen, what we see here is Paul teaching about this twofold nature of how God prepares his people. Of course, Paul's not urging us, again, that salvation comes by way of our works, but instead he's emphasizing this personal responsibility and this active engagement that exists in this journey of faith that we are all on, that Jesus is taking us on. And he underscores this importance here in in living out this life of faith, right? Faith without works is what? Living out this faith through obedience and diligence and partnering with God in this process of sanctification. You see, there's some responsibility on our end as Jesus followers in the obedience to do what he calls us to do. Aligning our lives with his will and growing spiritually and and, and maturing spiritually and complementing the grace that has been given to us. And that empowerment, empowerment that God provides through his spirit, that guarantee that he has given us. This relationship, it highlights this, this ongoing preparation and transformation through God's spirit. And it kind of reminds me, I was talking about, about this with my wife today. It kind of reminds me like getting ready, you know, when we were getting ready for our baby. 
and, and man, it is totally baby season around here, right? You know, I know Aaron and Ellen welcomed their sweet boy, John River, just a couple months ago. I know Jeff and Christina Perry, they had two twin boys, and Joe and Stacy just had their little boy, Gabriel, two weeks ago. And I know the Jones family, man, they're expecting two grandbabies in the same month, just in a couple uh, of weeks here. And, uh, you know, it's already turning out to be a great, a great, uh, you know, month for trail life, right? Our boys um, scout program that we got here, it's going to be nice and full, but man, we got to have some girls in here to balance this out because it'll get too crazy with all those boys. But, you know, I remember being in that season of preparing, waiting for our boys to come and all that preparation that took place. Now, of course, there were all those physical aspects like preparing our home and, and the, the, the baby's room and getting all that stuff that you need to, to bring him home. I mean, I even remember, you know, there's a lot to learn for, for mommy and daddy before that we bring that baby home, especially for mommy in preparation to be able to handle and properly care for a newborn. There's a lot. But this whole time that, you know, Rach and I were preparing ourselves and preparing our home, well, there was this work that was going on in her womb, this growing and developing of this baby boy that was beyond our control. As God was knitting them together, forming their organs and maturing their systems before the day that they were born. And I think even, you know, Paul's comment here on groaning there in verse four, and I know, you know, a lot of those third trimester mommies are groaning, hey, get this baby out. But, but so for us here on earth, man, we too are groaning. We feel that tension between heaven and earth. It's not that we're complaining or whining. You know, the Bible teaches that eternity has been placed in the life of the believer. And we feel that tension and we groan. The anticipation of eternal joy and fulfillment in that promise of heaven. Well, it's contrasted with the the challenges and the struggles that we all are faced with here on earth. And Paul would say in Romans 8, we groan inwardly. As we eager awaits, eagerly await the redemption of our bodies. But listen, this brings a powerful, powerful perspective for us in the midst of that tension, in the midst of that groaning, as we are being prepared. And we see this just on the in the previous chapter. If you guys want to flip a page back to 2 Corinthians 4. Paul would write there in verse 16. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weights of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul's motive here is to bring an eternal perspective to these daily struggles that we face in this preparation process. And in this perspective, we need to understand that that we are on this, this journey that eventually will lead us to heaven. And the difficulties and the struggles, as hard as they are, 
They'll be like passing moments when they're compared to the eternal joy and glory that he waits. They're just passing moments as, as Paul would write. Now, now will it be hard? Absolutely. Will these moments be, be challenging and press us? Yes, absolutely. But the Bible teaches that we will not be destroyed. We may be crushed, but we will not be destroyed. And if there is anybody who knew affliction, it was Paul who was hunted and beaten, left for dead, shipwrecked twice. And Paul experienced much pain and suffering throughout his own life. And he calls it our light affliction. And he notes it's only for a moment. But verse 17, this is all working in concert for a far more exceedingly, exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You know, the story is told of a Christian who was experiencing a tremendous amount of hardship and struggling. So he decided to go take a walk just to kind of get some air and maybe pray and just ask God that all famous question, why God, what are you doing? And he found himself kind of walking and, and finding this construction site where they're building a church building. And, and his focus kind of made its way to this craftsman who was chiseling away and working on this stone in front of him. And as he kind of watched, he noticed how meticulous this mason was being, working on this stone and pulling out his ruler and chiseling away and bringing the pattern back and laying it on the stone and chiseling a little bit more and then bringing his ruler back. And he thought, wow, this guy is really paying close attention and was looking around this church and he couldn't find where this, you know, piece was going to go. And so eventually, you know, he, he goes to this mason. He says, excuse me, pardon me, but, but why are... What are you doing and why are you paying so much attention to this piece of stone and kind of confused, you know, this worker just kind of pointed up to the steeple, said, man, I'm, I'm working on it down here, paying close attention, doing all I can down here so that it fits up there. You know, Paul's motive, again, is to bring this eternal perspective to these struggles that we have here. That we understand that our pain, it has a purpose. And its purpose is God's preparation that leads us to truly enjoying this exceedingly, I'm I'm sorry, exceeding and eternal joy. You know, another form of preparation that we experience is this longing that we talked about. This groaning that exists inside of the believer. It gives us a greater awareness that all is not as it should be which also causes us to understand that one day things will be made right. All of this acts as a catalyst that just deepens this longing that Paul explains, you know, as we long for justice, as we long for true peace, as we long for rest from our weary souls, and as we long for the reward that is promised to us. It pulls us away from the temporal and the material things of, of this life, you know, again, even among the good and beautiful things that God has given us, even in the midst of comfort and joy, and we're drawn towards this promise of something better, towards the promise of God. 
the hope of heaven. But just as Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. See, God has much for his people to do until his return. He's called us to be ambassadors of this hope. That even though we groan and long for heaven, man, we can be used as instruments and vessels to bring all the more people with us. So the purpose in the here and now, we see, provides a special peace, but also there's this work of preparation, preparing us for eternity. And lastly, let's close by considering this hope of heaven as an aspect of being fulfilled, this fulfillment that we will see once we are there. And as you may have noticed, if you've kind of been here through these three weeks, man, you'll see how these studies have kind of beautifully overlapped between the subjects of Jesus and glory and heaven. I mean, it really is just one beautiful tapestry. But in closing, in regards to the hope that we receive from this fulfillment of heaven, I'm just going to go down this list not exhausted by any means, but really more just as a call to worship. As we consider what is awaiting in our reward in heaven, that we would be filled up to the point of praise. As we are reminded or as we consider because of Jesus and his work, hey, this is our future. This is what is promised. This is what, this is what has been purchased and secured in Christ Jesus, okay? So first, fulfillment of our hope in heaven, perhaps really the greatest hope and, and glory that we will experience in heaven, number one, wants to see Jesus. That's that day the Bible says uh, there in 1 Corinthians 13 uh, that we will see Jesus face to face. Paul writes that for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And what a beautiful moment that's going to be, isn't it? Bible describes Jesus when we get to heaven, we see him as as a king with a long robe and a a golden breastplate. But somehow at the same time, we're going to notice, we're going to see and be aware of the scars that he suffered on this earth for us. But we shall be like him, as John writes, for we shall see him as he is. Like looking into a bright mirror. Charles Spurgeon wrote, where that brightness will just shine upon us. And I can't wait for that day, amen? Second, as Aaron focused on, we have to look forward to our glorification, those glorified bodies. Like Philippians 3 describes as citizens of heaven, we await for that day. That day that our Savior, who will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. You know, not only a relief, you know, and rest for, for those that are, you know, those bones are weary and we're just like, man, we can't wait to get out of this tent, these moral, I'm sorry, mortal, frail, you know, bodies that have so many limitations, but man, the excitement and that mystery that surrounds what having these glorified bodies was going to be like, what we'll be able to do and what awaits for us in that truth. And uh, third, tied to our glorification, well, we understand that there's going to be no more suffering. What it means to suffer no more. 
Revelation 21.4, but promises that he, God, will wipe away every tear from our eye and that there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more pain from the old, for the old ways will have passed away. And with that, fourthly, there will be victory over sin and temptation. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. First Corinthians 15, 57 assures us that there will one day be, praise God, an ultimate victory over the power of sin. And the struggle of sin and the presence of temptation will be no more as we experience the fullness of God's triumph. And what an amazing day that will be. And this will lead to number five, a much longed for rest for the weary. Hebrews chapter 4, 9 through 11 speaks of a beautiful Sabbath rest. You know, I I love to take naps, but I'm telling you, this is going to be the best rest you've ever experienced. Again, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more more sin or temptation. We just enter in to this God-given Sabbath rest. And I know you, like me, Number six, we cannot wait to be reunited with our loved ones. Of course, those in Christ that have gone on before us, well, we all, when that day comes, whether God takes us home or we go to him, we find ourselves all in the presence of God, surrounded by that great multitude, as Revelation 7-9 explains. All of those that make up that great multitude, I mean, just what a great fellowship that's going to be. But not just, you know, our family members and our loved ones, but all the saints. Number seven, we're going to be there with all the saints that we've read through, through our lives, in the scriptures, all our heroes, all those people we can relate to, like Adam and Eve are going to be there. We're going to be like, hey, thanks a lot. And Moses, Joseph, I mean, all the disciples, it's going to be the best family reunion that you could ever imagine. And it's no surprise to read Isaiah 35.10 that paints this picture of everlasting joy and gladness for the future state of the redeemed. Everlasting joy and gladness. There'll be singing. Man, it says that joy will be crowns on our heads and gladness and joy will overtake us. I love that picture. And in the midst of all that, we see the imagery there in Revelation 4 that, that goes on around the throne of God. And this is the, the, you know, something that we kind of halfway partake in, just worshiping around the throne of God. Worshiping around the one who sits on the throne. And as those elders representing the redeemed just fall down before him, they just cast their crowns or their rewards before him and give him who is worthy all to receive all glory, honor, and power. And we can only imagine that powerful scene and the joy that it produces in the people of God. Just beautiful. And all this... Under, lastly, 10, a new heaven and a new earth. That Second Peter 3 tells us where righteousness dwells. All creation and created beings made new. So amazing that Isaiah 65 says that we won't even remember the old ways or the old things. 
you know, I'm always like, uh, you know, holding everything up to the standard of, of kind of, you know, w- when I grew up and, and, you know, the new music, now nah, give me the 80s. You know, all these lame movies that are out now, 80s, 90s, all day long. Like the 80s clothes, maybe not so much. You keep those MC Hammer pants in your drawer. But, but we won't even, re- you know, remember the old ways and the old things, even the good things, because this new creation is the best. It's the best. And something I didn't put on this list is that this entire list will be able to enjoy and participate as children of God forever, for eternity. Just a promise found in, it's the promise found in John 3.16 when he declares, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but what? have eternal life, everlasting life. What a wonderful list of all these things that we have waiting for us as children of God. And so my prayer for us tonight is that this hope, this hope which is laid up for you and I in heaven, as Paul wrote to the Colossian believers, that this hope which is laid up for us would bear fruit now. That it would bear fruit in our lives, rejoicing in his promise, experiencing his perfect peace with our minds stayed on him, but also he would be bearing fruit in our lives that others would notice, that others would see, again, that we'd be ambassadors of this hope that we have in heaven. And that our, this, I'm sorry, that our God of hope would fill us with all joy and peace, even in the here and now, so that we would overflow with hope by the power of his Holy Spirit, as Paul wrote in Romans fifteen thirteen, really just simply sharing and loving on each other as we already do. And may it com- continually call us into worship. May, may this truth and, and this list just constantly be something that prompts us to praise God for what he has done to make a way, sending his son to live that perfect godly life, to be that perfect sacrifice for you and I, to pay the price that we could not, that by his blood, just by believing in him, calling on him, that we could be forgiven, that we could be cleansed, that we could be saved, and we can partake in all of this that awaits in eternity as our inheritance. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we we do just thank you for the work and person of your Son. Lord, that was given as, Lord, our greatest gift and made a way, Lord, so that we could have access into the family of God, Lord, that we could even experience all that is here for us We thank you, Father. I thank you, Lord, for that seal of your spirit, that guarantee that you've given us, Lord, that is our helper, Lord, as we struggle through and experience the challenges and trials. Lord, we do pray that you would pour out your spirit upon your people tonight, that you would empower us, that you would help us to have that eternal perspective and that we would remember that our pain It has a purpose. Lord, I also pray that your spirit would just overflow within the life of your people, of your bride, that we would be a beacon of hope, especially in this community, to the people that surround us and that we interact with. 
And Father, I do pray, Lord, that this Christmas, Lord, as we just celebrate the gift and the birth of your son, Lord, that we would never, ever cease to praise you for who you are and all that you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.